What's going on, everyone? It's Ram Mustafa. It's Emmanuel Hope. And it's the Ends to Excellence podcast. Thank you for joining whoop, us. Whoop. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. We have Shireen Olushesi. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, for all those that don't know, Shireen is a qualified cognitive behavioral psychotherapist. Hi. Yep. And a qualified psychological well-being practitioner. Since when? Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shireen specializes in student mental health and has an extensive experience carrying out assessments with and CBT treatment to students and staff in higher education, right? Yeah. Okay, she currently works part-time in efficacy and part-time in the University of Arts in London. Mm -hmm. Great, welcome to the podcast, Shireen. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks yes, yes, yes. So, so uh, one of the first questions we ask all of our guests is, uh, what ends are you from? I'm from Catford. Mm. You saying with your chest? You I'm saying it with my chest. Okay. Catford. Grimy Catford. You know. South East. A bit grimy, so. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we'll yeah, we will, we will. And um, by south, there, so. it is south. We have to rip. Um, and what industry are you excelling in right now? I'm currently excelling in healthcare services. Got you. Okay. Specifically, mental health. Okay, cool. Which is a it's an important topic right now. A lot of yeah. people talking about mental is. health and stuff like mm. that. So. Um, we're glad to have you on the podcast once again. Thanks for having me. So um. Let's start at the beginning. So how did you get into this, this industry? That is a good question. Mm. What's so your what journey? From the bottom from the, let's, to the let's top? Let's do it, okay. got time. So I, how did I start? So I did a psychology degree at the University of Kent. So wait, wait, wait. So did you, did you what A-levels did you study? What did you? It's a bit touchy still. Uh, oh. A-levels wasn't a great um, situation. So no? I did, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the same struggles as everyone. So I did psychology at A-level, media, IT, and law, but we won't talk about the law. So why, what was wrong with A-levels? Like? A-levels were, there was a lot of distractions yeah? at A-levels, yes. Um, A-levels were just hard. Be honest, I think A levels were like harder than the degree. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I think else I think the jump is way. quite big though from secondary school to to A levels. You so don't realise it. So what is it? Is it to do with the institution you were studying? What in terms of the distractions or in terms of the quality of the education? Both. I mean, you tell us. This is your, this is your um, show. To be honest, I think it was the distraction. So yeah. obviously, I went to girls' school. Right. Quite, uh, yeah. Secondary school was, school was that? all female, Prendergast. Um, and, and then from there, <laughs> <laughs> I went to Christ the King, which. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah, I yeah. came to find guys. Right. Wow. Not like yeah. that, though. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> but you know, so, so studying with People boys. Hot girl summer before hot girl summer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, studying with boys, it adds, a different it adds a different dimension to things. Right. So, okay. Um, and then A-Levels were just difficult, like GCSE, everything was spectacular, was great, and then A-Levels, things went left. But yeah, so I did four, and then I did psychology at A-Level. Got you. Okay. And then from there to... A-Level, you did psychology at A-Level? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then you went into doing it in university? Yeah, okay. yeah, because I've always wanted to be a psychologist, Excellent. in theory. So how did that run, like, um, so in A-Levels, so what happened to you? You got your grades you went straight to Kent or what happened Ooh, uh, yeah so my A-levels as I said it was a touchy time so I didn't do that well okay so I took a gap year and um, lived my best life so I worked and just 
went and visited all of my friends that um, was at university. Um, and then after that, I went to Goldsmiths and did a foundation degree. Um, I think the reason for that was because my A-levels wasn't great, so I wanted to just, you know, go back in education, just to kind of, I don't know. And what was the foundation in? It was in psychology. Okay, cool. Yeah, I did a foundation degree in psychology. Yeah. Okay, so then after your foundation degree... And then after the foundation, I passed that, and then I went on to the University of Kent to do the actual degree, so BSc. That was three years. Okay. Um, so, and, so yeah. Now, yeah, so, sorry to cut you. Um, so after formal education, what was the procedure to get to where you are now? Or how, actually, sorry, let's, let's take this slow. So how was, how was your university experience like? What was... Yeah, I mean... In what sense? What, in terms of the education or in terms of the social? So I suppose being that Kent is a predominantly white university. Okay. Um, there was pockets of black people, but mm. predominantly it was quite, yeah, it was quite a lot of... It was mainly white people, as well, to be honest, as most universities are. But I suppose the social side of things, because I was later in going to uni, I was a student with what, like 19 year olds at that point, I was like 20 or 21. So I felt like the older ones, I wasn't really into the partying business because I'd already done that in my gap year. So yeah, it was, but it was good. University was a good experience living away. So do you think you took university more seriously because you was older? 100%, yeah. I, I definitely would say I took it more seriously. Like I was there to actually come, up, come out with a degree right. as opposed to, do student life, do freshers, do all of that. I did do a bit of it, but it wasn't my focus. Yeah. So it was, so yeah, I think I don't regret doing it later, to be honest, because I was more focused mm -hmm. in that sense. And uh, socially it was, it was good. I collected a few friends and... Um, friends yeah. you still keeping now or are they all gone? <laughs> <laughs> friends, friends I still keep. Uh, yeah, friends I still keep. I made some valuable friendships there that, um, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay, cool. So now to my question. From after formal education, how did you get to become uh, what you are now? So after formal education, what did I do? Um, I got a job working at a forensic hospital. So it was a medium secure unit um, as a social therapist. So what that is, is how would you describe it? It's like a healthcare assistant. So we would run groups on the ward for the patients um, who like, tend to their basic needs so you know the basics such as like making teas, coffee, things like that, taking them out when they needed to you know go to the shop or go on kind of visits and to kind of reintegrate them into, com into the community. When you say making teas, were they like not, not physically able or? Well so I suppose I'll give you some background so forensic patients they are um, they are people that have committed a crime okay um, but as a result of their mental being mentally unwell Got you. yeah so they carried out a crime where they was maybe psychotic or you know severely depressed or under maybe the, yeah because of their mental health is the reason why they carried out the so crime. wait so were, so when they when you say they committed a crime were they charged went to court and then sent there or they were just sectioned Yep, so they were charged, um, they went to court, and then it was established that the reason that they committed that crime was because of um, mentally ill health. Yeah. And at that point, they get diverted, instead of going to prison, they get diverted to 
a forensic hospital. Right. So in a forensic hospital, they are they are treated, so they're given medication right. and they're ideally they're kind of rehabilitated. Right, great. So, um, but, but yeah. so how does that link to making them tea? So that's interesting because they are forensic clients. Mm -hmm. um, they aren't allowed to be around sort of sharp objects okay. so they can't be they don't have access to knives they okay. can't be around like boiling water because of the safety element yeah. okay, that makes sense. Um, so we would kind of look after them in that way mm -hmm. so that was one of the kind of more basic roles to be honest mm. um, but then it also required taking them out for leave so they wasn't allowed to leave the hospital it was a locked ward okay um, so if they needed to go out in the community they needed supervision um, and we would as a social therapist that's what we would do so we would escort them out in the community if they needed to go home we would escort them from there so the idea was that you know we, we can't take the lives of them so after being a social uh, well, how long did you do that for so um i only lasted there for six months and you say lasted well i say that because it was a wall so it presents its challenges you know being on a locked ward is difficult you cannot just leave um, so as if there's less than three people members of staff on the ward you can't go anywhere and I felt that was quite difficult because I felt like I was <laughs> I was in essence locked up too um, on top of that it was a it was a psychiatric ward so they needed 24-hour care so that meant it was like a shift pattern and right. You know, being young, having a social life, when all your friends are out skanking, living mm. their best, and you're having to do night shift, it's, it's a, it's a, it wasn't for me. So yeah, six months was all I could manage. And what was the next step for you? <laughs> and then, so after that, I worked at an early intervention in psychosis service. So that was in the community, okay. um, and that's with young people aged between. 18 to 25 that have had their first psychotic episode so psychosis is you know hearing voices hallucinating um, so the service was to help them to integrate back into the community to get them back working um, get them back in education and it was just to support them while they're in the community and you were probably around their age at the same time yeah exactly yeah. so how was that it was I think it has its challenges because mm. they see you as one of them, mm. and they are. You know, when I say it as one of them, as in we were age mates yeah. a lot of the time. So having boundaries could be quite difficult, um, or implementing boundaries could be quite difficult. Particularly as I was quite early on in my career, I didn't have that much experience. Mm. So um, that presented massive challenges. Also, that the young people that I was working with were also majority of them were black. Mm. So. You know, I felt it had its benefits because we could connect in a in a in a kind of a different way. Mm -hmm. So that role re required me often to do home visits, to visit them at home, trying to get them back into university or get them back into education. It might be escorting them to go to interviews. Um, so we'd spend a lot of close contact, like going on, you know, going on buses or just like just walking up and down. And mm -hmm. so other people would interpret us. Some I remember doing um, going on one visit with a client and one of the tutors thought that I was his girlfriend oh wow you know so the boundaries can become very blurred like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, um, but it was fun I can't lie yeah? it, was, it was it was really fun seeing progress was so what, what was more so obviously what was more challenging the, 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 the cycle 
Is that rude to say? <laughs> no, it's not rude. It's a psychiatric ward. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah, so it's a psych ward or, or like, so what did you learn like the most from? From comparing the two of those, yeah. I learned, to be honest, because I was only in the ward for six months and I worked at the early intervention service for three years. Obviously, okay. I'm going to learn a lot more just due to time, but yeah. I suppose big lessons. I suppose big take-home points from working in forensic services were that understanding the difference between someone that is mad and then someone that is is bad, and okay. that line is can become very blurred. Can become become really blurred. You know, someone that is actually experiencing a mental health problem and someone that is just you know, has had difficult upbringing, has had maybe personality issues, and and sometimes that's not madness. You think people were put in there, just the reason why I asked the case before that you went to trial, do you think like maybe they bust case because the lawyer, the lawyer did well to put them in a cycle as opposed to going to, going to, to, to jail? Uh, that's quite a political question. Mm. Um, you know, I think I think I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. I think it it, it does happen. There is definitely uh, opportunity there. Mm. You know, in a sense that if you commit a crime if, and you can say that you did it under ill health, then you 100% will get diverted to a, a forensic services where you know you'll be medicated potentially for a period, and then after three years, if you can show that you've been rehabilitated, then you can be discharged. Yeah, you're you're out back you're back out in the community, and that can be you could commit murder, you can you know serious crimes. So I can't you know yeah that probably does happen. Um, so moral so morally, like, do you see? Did you did you know their cases? Hundred percent. So the first time, the first day that I started, so bear in mind, I literally skipped out of uni three months later, got this role, my first job working in this ward. Um, the matron literally sat me down and was like, okay, here's the file, um, have a read up on the, the, the clients. And I literally opened it and, hey, the, the, the things that I read, I was like, ha, ah. mm. as in people committed heinous crimes, mm. like, very much like heinous, like murder, murdering their children. Um, so to, to, to walk in and to, to read that and to, to, to see that is was, was, was amazing. So how did how did you manage that? Like knowing that you were like sitting in front of like killers, making them tea. Yeah. Not wanting to pour the tea on them. I mean. <laughs> Obviously, you have to be professional, I guess. Yeah, That's what it is, no, exactly that. I how think, was how was it for you being in that situation? I think I'm not going to sit there and say it wasn't challenging. Mm. It was it was massively challenging. Um, I think being able to separate that, you know, I'm there to support them, and despite them doing the crimes that they have, they they were unwell at that time, and their their aim is to, to get them well again. Mm. So, I suppose having that at the forefront. And to be honest, a lot of the time I tried to, you know, after a while you forget about the crime Good and right. you just see the person that is in front of you. Um, and that can make it a bit easier. So, um, back to, so we got to the stage where you're doing the community work. Yes. And it was, that was with psychosis. Early intervention, yep, that was the psychosis so service. Were there things that generally cause, were there patterns of like, 
causing psychosis or is it just it happens? Kind of uh, no, there, I mean there was there was a lot, but quite a few common features. So oh. drug use. Okay. Um, I worked um, in a, a urban service in um, Hackney, so around well, I say around that time is probably still the case now. There's you know there's high levels of, high levels of use of skunk okay. and cannabis, mm-hmm. and there have been like direct links that have found that you know increased use of cannabis increases your vulnerabilities to psychosis. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of the clients. Mm. So skunk, don't quote me here, <laughs> but skunk, so the, the strain that is used with skunk, it is different. So I think is like, you know, a male um, or two female plants that they breed it together produces skunk and it gives a different kind of high. Right. Whereas you've got like high grades, which is, you know, high grades, so it's just in its natural form. Right. Um, that's not. That's more natural. Right? It's it's more natural and and I suppose with skunk the potency is yeah. a lot stronger okay. than than high grade. Okay. So skunk has a high. In, uh, sorry, yeah. So smoking skunk, you're more likely to develop Trigger psychosis. Yeah. Okay, as cool. opposed to high grade, but. Cool. Okay. Cool. So then after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the next step for you? So after after that, I went to um, I worked as an assistant psychologist for um, where did I work? Yeah, I worked as an assistant psychologist at Camden and Islington service, okay. um, and that was on a research trial looking at the interestingly the links between um, cannabis use and psychosis. Mm. So the purpose of the trial was to see whether using contingency management, which is in essence kind of giving people a reward, whether giving people a reward for abstaining from cannabis can help to reduce the likelihood of them using and therefore aid their recovery. So what that required was to pay people, pay the clients, um, I think it was, you know, some fee per a week mm-hmm. um, for them to, to stop using cannabis. And will you drug test them? So yeah, we would do, I would do the urinalysis uh-huh. each week. Yep. It's a study, isn't it? I know. So, it, you know, it wasn't without controversy. But it was <laughs> it like paying people to stop taking drugs. Yeah. Stop using cannabis, yeah. So the trial was to see whether that was an effective method. Surely they would have done that with like cigarettes and stuff like that, like any addiction, right? Or it hasn't been done before? Well, I don't know whether it has been done before, okay. but I think um, because of such strong links as that has been found between cannabis use and psychosis, it was the, you know, if we, if we can find a way to reduce yeah. them using it, then let's try let's try paying so let's say it worked then the government would start paying people well i mean if it that worked, would be a, a <laughs> nhs solution right oh if it worked it would it would propose that yeah it would yeah. it would give an, a possibility that that's something that might then be you know taken forward yeah um so it didn't work i didn't work on the trial for until the end okay but interestingly i don't i don't think they found a link Got you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, but that's not to say they wasn't effective I've, i mean me working on the trial i did see that when they were you know those that were in the contingency management arm that were receiving money they, they did abstain Got you. how much money were they in 
How much have we? So they used to get vouchers. So the longer, so like the first week, I think it was uh, £10. Then the mm. second week, if they abstained, it went up in £10 increments. Got you. So that was for like 12 weeks. So what, JD vouchers, yeah. They wasn't, wasn't JD, no, mm. it was Tosca vouchers actually. Okay. It, it was, yeah. and, and what were the age, what did they range from? It was early intervention class, so 18 to 25, uh, yeah, 18 to, sorry, 18 to 35. Okay, 18 cool. to 35. All right, and then you did that for how long? I did that for only like three months. Okay. Because then after that I got on to my, I suppose, my first clinical training, which was um, at UCL to become a low intensity CBT, I don't want to say a low intensity, a psychological well-being practitioner, so that's delivering low intensity CBT interventions. So what's that? What does that mean? Yeah. Let's break that down. Let's break that down. Please. So what does that mean? So, so CBT is the type of therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, mm-hmm. um, and what that degree, or I suppose, sorry, what that training did is it took the, it took a specific number, took some specific interventions that are used in CBT um, and trained and trained therapists to deliver those interventions. So it was like six, I think, core interventions that we learned and then we would um, use those interventions with clients presenting with anxiety and depression. So they call it low intensity because it's not um, it's not so full on, so the sessions would be like half an hour, okay. and you could deliver it over the phone, online, face to face, and it used a lot of booklets. So it's the idea of guided self-help. Okay. Um, so the idea is that the client helps themselves, so mm. but guided, so with the support of the therapist. Got you. So what is cognitive behavioural therapy in general? So cognitive behavioural therapy mm-hmm. is a type of psychological therapy that. I suppose it's based on the idea that all situations are neutral, okay. but it's how we think about those situations that really impacts how we feel emotionally, physically, and, and really directs our behavior. Okay. Um, but it focuses mainly on the thoughts and the behaviors. Uh, example. Mm-hmm. So, okay. One I always use in therapy. So if someone hears a noise in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and then thinks, my house is getting broken into. Mm. How is that person going to feel? Mm. What emotions? Fear. Fear, yeah. Mm. Why are you shrugging your shoulders? I don't know. <laughs> 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 what emotions are going to feel? If someone thinks Obviously, yeah, fear, anxiety. Anxiety, exactly. So those yeah. are the emotions. And then would they experience any physical symptoms with that anxiety? Palms, exactly. Especially palms, heart palpitations. So those are the physical symptoms. And then the behaviour. So having that thought, what is that person likely to do? So they might, as you said, reach out, get a weapon, Mm. run an attack, or they might hide under their bed. So that's behaviour. So someone else can hear the same noise in the middle of the night and then think, oh, it must be the birds. Mm. How is that person going to feel? Go back to sleep. Indifferent, so mm-hmm. they're not going to have any emotions, but potentially feel quite calm. Mm-hmm. Probably no physical symptoms, and the behaviour will be to go back to sleep. Yeah. So can you see that the situation is exactly the same, but what's different is the thought that led to two completely different outcomes there. Got you. In the physical, emotional, and the behavioural response. Got you. So that's kind of how CBT understands things. Okay. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. That 
Yeah. You, you okay. clear with that? Okay, thought, thank you for yeah. that. Um, so that's just one strain of psychology. Not everyone believes in that. So, so it's just well, it has different models, yeah. So yeah. that's one model, um, one treatment model, which is understanding when people have psychological problems, understanding how you think and changing your thoughts and changing right. your behaviour right. can lead to a reduction in distress right. and the problems. Does yeah. that work for like just particular situations or could it work for like everything? Across the board, yeah. To be honest. As in, you, someone comes in and they can't sleep because of that example you use, but then they could like panic at other situations. The same thing would work. Same, mod- yeah. We would okay. use the same model. So I uh, treat people with different anxiety disorders. So OCD, health anxiety, social anxiety, PTSD. That's probably another one, but I can't remember. And and depression. Got you. Um, and that model is. Uh, is the recommended treatment for all of those problems and it's still the same thing how you think in that situation is going to impact how you feel and then what you do the actions yeah okay cool so back to your career so you're in UCR doing the low so I was doing the, the low intensity low intensity yes that was nine months mm-hmm. um, after that I qualified and alongside doing that course you, you it's like a placement so you also work in an IAPT service which is a NHS primary care service that offers CBT typically as a first-line therapy um, so alongside working so you're at uni for I think two days a week and then the other three days you're working in this working in the service treating um, Studying and working at the same time. So how did the the salaries match up? Because if you're just part time and studying at the same time, how are you you earning money? Yeah, you get a salary. You're paid. You're paid to do it. And you're paid to learn as well. Yeah. So no, you don't. It's it's uh, the course is free. Okay. They pay you a salary. As I said, you work for you. They train you for nine months, and then after that nine months, you're qualified, and then you 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 know you tend to work in that service that you trained at or. You can move to a different one. What qualifications do you need to do what you do? Um, so what I do now, so I've done subs- another training, which mm-hmm. was to uh, a postgraduate diploma mm-hmm. to become a, a cognitive behavioural therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that stage, what did I need? I think I just needed a degree. Okay, any degree. And um, uh, I think any degree, yeah. To be okay. yeah, yeah, any degree, yeah. Um, but also you needed an, obviously an interest in mental health advice as well, would you have done that? And, and maybe some experience working mm-hmm. um, within mental health services, but it's not a given. A lot of people on my course came straight from university, finished their degree and then jumped onto that so course. So would you say that, you know, even your degree and the first two jobs that you, that you had, did that benefit you in where, you, where, you're, where you're at now? Um, that's an interesting question. So the de- the degree benefited me, I suppose, not necessarily in my f- in my first two roles, to be honest, because with the degree is very theory based, and when you're working in practice, often, I mean, you don't need to know the names of the people that did certain theories yeah. to work with someone, you know, yeah. to, to support yeah. someone. Um, but having that knowledge, you know, is helpful. Mm. But. Um, I suppose to be to do the postgraduate diploma that I did that to become a qualified CBT therapist. Yeah, I think that uh, having my doing my undergraduate helped mm-hmm. just because I, I knew some theory already, okay. so I wasn't kind of new to psychology. Yeah. Um, 
But it's not a given, to be honest. As I, I know other CBT therapists that haven't done a, a BSc in psychology, have done in other things, and then maybe done a, a conversion course. So that kind of links to my, my other question. Um, so let's say someone wants to get into this young person, what would be the the best way for them to get into the industry or like a shortcut or not short, well, yeah, shortcut maybe, Does or the best route, should I say? See, I, I suppose it really depends on what, I suppose what, what type of therapy they want to get into. Okay. So when I started, um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, and what's the difference? So a psychologist, uh, so you've got like different types of psychologists, so I suppose a clinical psychologist, um, has trained or is that lying down and just <laughs> all of that stuff Can I, I don't think there's any therapy now that where you lie down that is a really kind of ancient that's idea that's on tv see that is that's that that idea is like psychodynamic psychotherapy but i mean i work with them and i've been in their rooms and they do not have the chaise lounge there is no lying down like, that's, that is that's just very tv outside. yeah that is just tv okay, it really doesn't look like that okay, um, <laughs> what was the question before? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I asked you what was the difference me. between um, a, you wanted to be a psychologist? Yeah, so a, a psychologist, a um, they have done a doctorate, so three years, mm-hmm. um, and they have learned a few different models. So they might have learned a bit about CBT, a bit about um, systemic um, I suppose systemic therapy, and maybe psychodynamics. So they've got kind of knowledge of a wider range of models whereas okay. me i have studied um I've, my qualification is in cbt only that's Got the you. model that i use so yours is more of a like, like refined route whereas theirs is more broad they're, yeah they're broad so in the therapy i suppose of the psychologist in their therapy they will be drawing on quite a few different models whereas okay. me i would only be drawing on cool. cbt Got you. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so back to what we were saying, how does someone navigate? Yeah, so I suppose, as I said, it, de- it depends. I think, yeah, that's where we got to. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be a psychologist, but mm-hmm. then I got to an age where I realised that I don't, I'm not really here to do the three-year doctorate. The thing. Mm. <laughs> it's really long mm. um, and it's not specifically my bag. So I researched other ways of working with people with mental health problems outside of that clinical psychology group and that's where I became aware of kind of other types of therapy so CBT, psychodynamic, systemic, there's a a world of different therapies so thinking about how you would get into the industry what I would recommend is finding out or working out you know what type of therapy do you actually want to do because it might be that you don't need to do a doctorate you might be able to do like a master's and then do a postgraduate diploma or you know, you can just kind of go through alternative routes. It's not just one. One direct route, but, yeah, but university one. is required. Yes, so university is required. Doing, okay. um, I suppose, doing a degree doing a degree and doing a master's is required. I say master's or postgraduate. Is, so you have to do undergraduate. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to need to do it. But, but some people do it undergrad in like, you know, something else and then do a master's in you know a health related field and then they get through that in that room good okay so what so at the moment so at this time you're doing all public public sector right yeah so when did we get to so i that's when i trained as a qualified yeah so i did the pw uh, psychological well-being practitioner course the low intensity one and then once i was qualified in that i realized that you know i can't 
just sit down and just deliver these six interventions. Like you're a low intensity therapist working in the NHS service, so you're that kind of first level of therapy. Um, so your caseload is really high. You know, they lean a lot on those kind of low intensity workers. I was like, you know, I'm gonna get burnt out very quickly. And the pay was not the pay that I wanted mm. to eat for. Mm. So mm. What was the, what was the breakfast? Hey. <laughs> right, that was the past. It's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> elevated since then. So uh, when I was training, I was um, band four. I'm trying to think of what that was at that time. At that time, it was like 20, 20, oh, I don't know if I remember like, the sky, but like 20, 24 sounds familiar. Starting in 24. Okay. Um, and then when you're qualified, bear in mind this was three years ago, when you're qualified, you then start at band five, which at that point was 26, okay. starting. Um, so when I qualified, I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, it's happy days, but I was like, this, this is not the salary where I want to, mm. <laughs> this is not the salary I want okay. to stay. Yeah, so, um, and this wasn't the, the position, this wasn't my end of my career, it was really? a low intensity work, I know. You know, I wanted to do, the high intensity. Yeah, I wanted to do high intensity. I'm seeing people. Is up it called there that? Or just yeah, that is actually called high intensity. Okay. If you're in the NHS, it's called high intensity, okay. but so, otherwise it's so CBT. What, so you found jumping into the private sector more lucrative, and, and for you, you was able to do what you wanted to do in terms of job satisfaction. Well, I suppose if we come back, so after I was a did the PWP course, I then needed to study, I then needed to train again to become a CBT therapist. So at that point, it was, it was, it was tough. I got onto the course at um, London South Bank. Um, I literally applied for it like a month before, saw it online, applied for it. I was thinking, oh, let's just let's just see if this bangs. And mm-hmm. um, got the interview, but at that time I just started a job and I'd asked them, it was the first week, and I said, oh, can I have this time off? And they practically told me no. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to not go to the interview. So I, I just badly called in sick. Wow. Went to the interview, that was a, a, a madness. I was I was late, I was like an hour late for the interview. How? Can, can you imagine? Don't, How? don't do that, kids. <laughs> don't do this, kids. Like, literally <laughs> an hour late. You know when the day just, just, it just wasn't working out? I planned to get there early and everything just wasn't happening. I got lost, oh, it was a madness. Mm. And when I got in there, they, they was like, oh, you're here, and they interviewed me. And then I, I got onto the course. I still wow. gave, I know. It's, I mean, you must have been what, fire. Um, mm. Well, mm. Mm. For those not watching the YouTube video, she's definitely gonna hear like like she's something. Like. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was that. So then I, I got onto that course and I did that for two years, but that was part time. So I practically worked, and that was a weekend course. So I worked nine to five, Monday to. Friday, no, I work four days a week, mm-hmm. um, and one of those weeks, so to do the course, you have to have a placement where you're actually treating people Good. alongside studying. And were you still doing, your nine to five was still in? Um, was still in C- NHS C- services, okay. yeah, yeah. So I, w- I had to do a placement, and that was a struggle because the job that I worked at wouldn't allow me to do my placement there, even though it would make sense. Um, so it was being anti, very anti. Mm. <laughs> really, wow. It was really anti. So sorry, this is still in the, the public sector. Or this is private. Uh, sorry, this is public sector. This okay. is the NHS, NHS services. Yeah, they wouldn't allow me to. Even though I was offering my services for free, mm. and I knew that the waiting list that they had was high, they still wouldn't allow me to. Why do you think that's so? 
Um, I think in NHS service there's a lot of bureaucracy. Um, Because I didn't, because the course that I was doing, I didn't do it through the NHS. I think maybe they was feeling some kind of way about that. Um, Up until this day, I I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. So I can only put it down to bureaucracy as to why they didn't allow me to. So I was at work and I was like, you know, if I didn't get a placement for myself, I was going to be kicked off the course. So I literally went on Google, this is while I'm at work, went on Google and typed in CBT place, uh, CBT services and the first five, I just sent an email to all of them, to their kind of email, uh, you know, their info, email. Yeah. yeah, their info, and just said, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to offer my services for free, will you allow me to, to, to see clients there, you, you know, you don't have to pay me, and I just threw that out because I was literally like, two weeks before I needed to get this going otherwise I was kicked off and bear in mm. mind I've already paid like the first time that's yeah. what I was going to ask you so this, <laughs> is a, so, this, so this isn't like the other course you did this that is that was through the NHS no this is me privately I you found it and you and I was paying self funding wait so then you being late they're going to give it to you then that's what I said. Like, maybe they were just trying to fill numbers. Uh, you know, man, like, you're paying them. Like, like, <laughs> no, but at the same time, it's a competitive course, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> My but bad, yeah, man. I was, not, I was dropping Peter away. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so. I um so I did yeah so I did that so yeah that's what we were saying so I got okay. to, I sent out the emails um, and then nothing nothing came back initially but then one of them emailed me back and said oh come in for an interview and it was like when I looked at the service I was like hey this is this is no small mm. this is no small service um, and I wasn't actually gonna go um, because I thought no like to be honest why would they mm. think about like employment you know confidence issues and all of this and um went to the interview and then they offered me the placement like there and then which was which was great so i worked there one day a week mm-hmm. um and then the other four days i was working at the service so where was NHS. this place sorry this is at efficacy it's a private cbt company right, okay. while you're studying on the weekend while i'm studying on the weekend and working the other four days in the nhs dedication so some weeks I was working seven days. Seven, six, seven days. Seven. So the weekend course was Saturday and Sunday. And how long did you do that for? Two years. Wow. Yeah, it was a grind and a half. So did did that, mm-hmm. finished the course. Um, but in the meantime, obviously, financially, one has to live. Mm. Um, so, and I obviously needed to pay for the, for course, the course privately. Yeah. So. I realised that, you know, working as a locum, you get more money for doing exactly the same work. So I left the job. Explain what locum is to A locum is kind of a bank worker, like a contract worker. Okay. Um, so you are not sort of... How do you do that? I'm not like a... I'm not employed uh, by the service. So they kind of draft you in. You have like a contract. So over there for like three or six months and then it just gets extended. Mm. So I was a contractor, yeah. And in your field... Is there a lot of demand for local workers? There is a lot of demand, yeah, because you get paid more um, for doing exactly the same role and you get paid hourly. So I realised that, you know, I can do the same thing and get paid more Mm -hmm. and obviously I needed to fund the course. So Mm -hmm. I knew that because I was only also going to be able to work four days a week because I was doing the placement for one day, I needed to earn more out of (laughs) of less less days. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so that's so that's what I did to fund my degree. So you did locum full, well, full time locum. You, you swapped that for your four days a week. I yeah, so yeah, four days a week. I worked as a, a, a locum, and that's at the university, King's University. Um, and I, I, I did that. But then after a year, they offered me a permanent position. Nice. Um, and was able to match. Match your my, yeah, match my pay. So beautiful. it just made sense. You mm. can get sick pay. You get mm. no leave. You mm. can. You can play the game, so um, so I did that. Worked there for for two years until I qualified, and then when I qualified, I then left Kings, and then started to work exclusively at the private CBT efficacy, efficacy where I did my training. So then they promoted me to a senior ther therapist when I was qualified oh. um, and I worked there privately as a contract worker mm -hmm. um, so I just worked there for two days a week and lived my best life <laughs> to be honest um, and, and, and that was great for, for a bit mm -hmm. um, and then here we are now so then also I decided to work part-time at the University of the Arts because I really enjoyed working with students yeah. So then I, um, I worked part-time at the University of the Arts for three days a week. So how does, it, how, does um, so how does it work working in a university do what? So students have a breakdown and then they just go to you, like how does it? Yeah, so students will present with, you know, so, um, it could be anxiety. Mm. So a lot of the student issues tend to be sometimes social anxiety. Mm having to do presentations, you know, coming from, students come from all corners of, you know, the world, or sometimes coming into London. So adjusting to London living, adjusting to, to life in the UK, you know, London is not, <laughs> not an easy city. So that can present its challenges. Um, so sometimes they experience social anxiety where they're not, they feel that they can't, you know, communicate with other people without feeling anxious. Also, a lot of depression. Mm. Um, so they might be away from, or they are away from home, experience a lot of homesickness. Um, and that can lead to de depression. Or even like just stress, that prolonged stress that's untreated and not managed will lead to depression. Um, so those are kind of common student, student issues. Um, as well as eating disorders, so a lot of students struggle um, with, with eating disorders because that idea of not being able to control what's going on around them so mm. they start to control and restrict their food Got you. and then you get um, that disordered eating and it's a, a whole range to be honest you also get like confidence issues so a, a lot of the students will come from you know colleges maybe where they was like on their A game mm. was like you know heads secondary school was top of the class went to college top of the class and then you come to uni and then there's someone that's brighter than you and it's yeah. a matting right. <laughs> <laughs> Like this the plan. Yeah, exactly. So um, that can cause a lot of that cause a lot of anxiety and really? depression and perfectionism. You get a lot of that at university. So how does someone get referred to you in university? Yeah. So what will happen is it might be that it's picked up from um, their course team. Um, so it might, for example, they maybe aren't attending lectures. Okay. Um, it might be that they're they're constantly handing in work late. Um, well, they care, 
They care. Yeah, if it's picked up. <laughs> you know, if it's picked up, then, you know, someone will have a conversation with you. Something, you know, your tutors, that's what they're there for, that pastor will yeah, go have a conversation, cool. find out what's going on, and then maybe we'll refer you to the counselling. Or a lot of the students refer themselves. You know, we're in an age where mental health is being spoken about a lot more, um, and people will reach out. Yeah. Um, I find that the ones that are less likely to reach out are, you know, the black students. We, mm. they, they don't tend to reach out until things get real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where you're at risk of failing so or you're getting kicked out. Do you reckon that's like out. a culture thing? Hundred percent, I think it's a culture thing. Mm. You know, either a lot of. Um, you know, in a lot of African cultures, Caribbean cultures, we're just not taught to kind of one access help. Mm. So we would sit there and struggle, struggle, struggle <laughs> before we will ask someone to kind of support us. And secondly, which it's just not in the cultures to actually speak out. You know, yeah. we're just not used to kind of telling someone about our problems. So, so, so was this a problem which um, kings actually saw? And, and how do they try and combat that? What? It's the University of Arts. So I have worked at, at King's, King's and I've worked yeah at both of them. To be honest, it's, it's university wide. It's not just these two. It's mm. a problem across all universities. But did they, based upon the saying that there's the specific kind of struggles with specific ethnicity? Yeah. So be it, like, they call it like BME black and yeah. minority. So based upon kind of what you're seeing or the case looks, was there something where they it was highlighted and they reacted upon? Um. Hmm. So, I'm not speaking for any university in particular, but I think, I think most universities, from what I understand, struggle to engage BME students. Um, I think that's, that's historical. They're less likely to access the service, and services often aren't tailored in a way that can support them, just in the sense that there's not many, there's more likely to be, you know, white, typically white middle-class therapists. You. working in those services and less likely to be black mm -hmm. therapists so that is already a barrier where you know these students will access support but they're not necessarily going to see them mm. um, and they might not see someone that can potentially understand their, problems. their cultures yeah, yeah cultures and, and, and problems so that creates a barrier in itself so then in that regard then one or were you seen as more of a, a commodity um, considering that you're less just less of you Black. I mean that Black. that that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm. For me, to, that would make sense. Right. Um, but there's always politics. Okay. You know, in so you wasn't seen as that. Is that what you're saying? I think what 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 I have found in in my experience is that um, there is the idea that you know we need that a lot of services need to engage BME clients, Black minority ethnic students, but when it comes to actually putting things in place, things often fall short. Okay. Um, what kind of things could they put in place? So there's quite a few things that can put in place. You know, I suppose what I've, I mean, knowledge of myself as well, like, you know, mm -hmm. to speak to someone as a, as, a, as a black woman, to speak to someone about my problems is, is no easy feat, you know. Um, and therefore, being in a position where that is accessible to me. So trying to ensure that I see someone or can have the possibility of seeing someone that looks like myself mm -hmm. will be helpful mm. as a start. On top of that, knowing that in university services is short-term therapy, so they only offer like up to six sessions, sometimes four. Okay. And if someone already has kind of trust issues and struggles to open up, it might be like session three when they just start talking. If you've only got four sessions, then yeah. oh, that's the therapy done. So then in, in in kind of 
like f forgetting kind of the actual practice of what you're doing mm -hmm. within you being employed in your career at the moment. Yeah. Was you did you notice a um, a pattern whereby um, I think you mentioned that obviously you're more there's not as many uh, BME uh, therapists. Yeah. So was you pro-discriminated against us in maybe elevating to levels where because you're black who's given a, a, a more beneficial chance of, of getting jobs? Or was quite the opposite. Really? <laughs> to be honest, quite quite the opposite. Um, I think, I mean, typically universities are, you know, institutions that have been dominated by white, white people and therefore I suppose how 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 do I how do what how does one put this? Drop the thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> how, 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 how does one put this? I mean, you know, it's the same. It's the, it's, it's the same struggles. You know, being a, you know, typically being a, a black person, you know, it's it's harder to get jobs. <laughs> That's just across the board. Okay. Um. So if you can imagine being in a, a, trying to get a job in an institution that is already dominated heavily mm. by white middle-class people um, that is a that is a hurdle in itself I mean yeah. what one thing that I noticed and I've consistently noticed is that you know as a as a black black woman to connect with as you know as an employee to to be able to connect with a team of um, maybe white middle-class people requires me to maybe act differently mm. okay. um, I, I I maybe have to like you know talk about my personal life in a little bit more depth than I would like to just to be able to connect with some people really? yeah and as a, as a result of of, of that, that, that that proves challenging you so know? Was, that, was that a learning curve for you actually stepping into those roles to, to, to start learning how to deal with the different types of, I guess, office. Was it office culture? Office culture, office environments. Massively, it was a, it was, it was, it was a big shift. So, how did you deal with that? Learning a different skill set. How how did how did I deal with that? It's a really good question because I think being okay with myself, I think, was the first part. Because being okay with being different. Um, and accepting that and thinking it's okay to actually put myself as Shireen out there to people and that is acceptable was the, the first part because I always I typically felt that I needed to fit in with you know the cultures that were there when, when I said that talking about working with um, middle-class people I wouldn't see myself as middle-class so when I'm hearing the conversations of oh you know the cleaner that came on the weekend and she didn't do this and she didn't do that I'm like hey cleaner <laughs> I'm that one at home you know that is that is me or hearing oh yeah I went to like the south of France for the weekend and you're hearing things and it's like oh what did you do on the weekend ah oh, <laughs> I went raving. I just, I, just yeah, my bed I just went bumbly. <laughs> Browsing Catherine's still. Exactly. So there was a lot of that. Like I, 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 I'm not like I'm not like my life is very different, and mm. and that 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 proved really difficult. But being okay with that, I think, was the first step. And then also realizing, you know, you can connect people connect with people on different on different levels. Um, was a big a, a big way of dealing with that. Being a, a cognitive behavioural therapist, so I want to pronounce it correctly. So what kind of like skills do you say you need or like values do you need to, to have or hold? So in terms of the, the skills, I think because with C CBT is a very problem focused type of therapy, 
uh, people come to you with problems, as in, okay, I'm struggling to sleep, or I feel anxious when I'm socialising, or I can't get to work on time because I cannot get out of bed. That is quite problem-focused. So I think one of the the skills of being a CBT therapist is helping to ident- helping people to identify what those problems are and to think about, okay, what is it that they need? And also identifying the problem and think about what is actually maintaining the problem. What mm. behaviours are they doing that is keeping this problem going? Because often people have, you know, anxiety mm. um, issues and, and low mood and the methods that they're using to cope, they often don't realise that these methods are actually keeping the problem going or making it worse. There's an element of kind of I think for me I'm quite a, I'm a fixer I like to fix problems mm-hmm. like there's just not even in mental health just in life like I like to fix issues so mm. have CBT kind of really fits in line with that but people have problems and I need to kind of try and think about what they need to do to fix those problems oh, and also being a good listener because obviously you spend a lot of time sitting and listening to people mm. listening to people's problems and being able to 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 hear someone's difficulties to be able to empathise but then also when they leave the room to be able to kind of leave that there and not take those problems home. Mm. So you're seven years in. So what's your what's your 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 bit your your biggest regret so far? I think my biggest regret is probably not putting myself out there. Um, so I used, I have not say used to, so I experience social anxiety. So when I'm in kind of group situations, like it's a bit sticky, I feel very anxious and I te- often don't talk a lot of the time. So when you work in mental health, sometimes you have to be in like, team meetings and often like the, the most annoying thing is like you'll, you, someone will say something and will ask a question and you'll know the answer, like you'll actually know what the person needs mm-hmm. and because you're anxious you'll just sit there and be like, oh yeah this oh no I'm not going to say it because people think I'm an idiot or people aren't going to take me seriously and as a result I think that kind of hampered my career because you know in order to progress at times you need to be seen and right. people need to know what maybe you're thinking and to be able to present ideas mm-hmm. and if you're just sitting there keeping those ideas to yourself and people don't hear them yeah. um, and I suppose also, because of that kind of social anxiety, not going for jobs where I have to do a presentation. Okay. If I see in the lineup that in the interview I have to do a presentation, <laughs> I will sidestep that. Wow. <laughs> I'm not even applying like mm. <laughs> at all. So I'd say some of those regrets is not managing that element of my anxiety earlier. So, but so you still live with anxiety now? I am. I still get anxious in social situations, but I feel a bit more able to just say, do you know what, just say it, what's the worst that can happen? People mm. think you're an idiot, they think you're an idiot, but at least you've said... I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> at least you said it, but you might be an idiot after, but at least it's out there. So... Is that just magic? You're cheeky, fam. You're rude, fam. Okay, so one of, the, one of the things that I used to always consider, bro, yes. you're bad man. Um, bad man. <laughs> um, one of the things that um, I always used to think about is yeah. therapists. If you're a therapist, you shouldn't need therapy. That's like, really interesting. Yes, well, I was, I was, I was young and naive yeah. at the time, but so obviously you saying you have your social anxiety. Yeah. Um, does that does that hamper your ability to do your job or 
Not necessarily. It's interesting. Not necessarily. I think it's, it has its nuances in the sense that I treat people with social anxiety. Yeah. So I treat what? people with exactly the same problems mm-hmm. as um, ones that I have and have had. So I think it can be helpful because I can I can literally empathise on the level of uh, uh, yeah I've I've been there and exa- I have I can guess as to how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can be helpful. I suppose to some extent it can um, it can be problematic in the, in the essence that sometimes you can feel like a force because you're there telling someone okay you need to do this you need to do that this is what's going to help you let's think about no, let's think about doing this and that knowing full well that I might not be in a position to do that myself yeah um, and I suppose you know some, everyone has off days sometimes yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm just not on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's natural. I'm that's just natural. Not on and it. Do, do you do you use the skills that you've obtained to, I won't say like fix yourself, but um, manage yeah, manage your yeah. yeah, you do. Or or do you have you considered going to speak not maybe your colleague but someone that does your cognitive behavioural therapy? Is that yourself? for my own? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I use the same techniques that I do in therapy. I do use them. I use them myself. Hundred percent. Does it work when you do it to yourself or do you need someone to do it with, for you, if that makes sense? I think it, it depends. I would say, you know, I, I'd say with my social anxiety, as it, it has been worse and it has been more severe and now we're probably in a, a good stage. It doesn't affect me that much. Um, but I suppose when it, when it was probably in more severe stages, I probably would have needed someone to, you know, help me through a little bit. Got you. Um, but, I, but I didn't for probably similar reasons of, you know, therapy isn't for black people, you know, black people. So what, what would you do differently then? In what sense? In your career, like if, if you could, you know, roll back time, like what would you do differently? Would you, would you, I don't know, like for example, would you think, oh, wow, Realize that you have some, you have um, social anxiety sooner, try to treat that. And then, mm. But because from what I'm hearing, maybe you didn't self diagnose early enough. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did, to be honest, because I used to just get find my way through things. Like I've, I worked in roles where I suppose when I was working in the early intervention service, when I was working as like a low intensity. Un, uh, you know, unqualified worker, you can get away with not saying anything because arguably there's a, someone more senior than you, yeah. um, so you can take a back seat. Mm-hmm. So that meant it kind of helped me to just do more avoiding. <laughs> you know, I didn't really have to deal with the issue because I could still do my job and it wasn't really picked up. Yeah. It didn't affect me like, um, it didn't really affect my work like that. Um, but I suppose in terms of that like, career progression, yeah, I, I definitely would have kind of recognised, you know, Shereen, you're you are you're sidestepping jobs because of this, like mm. come, let's come and deal with this thing. But um, so I probably would have dealt with that a lot um, a lot earlier, to be honest. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so cool. What would you say is like your future plans in this industry in your career? What's what's the goals going forward? Hmm, I'd say future plans are to I'd like to start working with children. So I've always kind of wanted to 
to work with children because I suppose what I've found is that um, in the adults that I work with and, and treat at the moment you can identify that a lot of the problems started was evident in their childhood okay. childhood experiences so I always think of, oh if you had CBT a lot earlier we might we won't we might be in, we might not have been here or we might be in a, di a different space so I want to work with um, children next and also to I also have an interest in property so I'd like to blend the two so okay. to be able to kind of offer housing and therapy for people with common mental health problems. So how would that work? Dope. As in you, you check in a bit like a, um, what's it, is it Worsley? Yeah, well, I suppose they're out there already, but it wouldn't be like a hospital, I suppose it'd be more like residential accommodation, right. so that's supported housing. Right, okay. Um, but maybe having some CBT therapists like pops in, in house okay. in house and kind of runs the group and they are they are out there but I suppose the focus is more on that kind of a, a inpatient sort of ward like setting but more like you know you want it to be like more relaxed more relaxed yeah so to be able to offer nice um, you know livable market accommodation but also have that element of therapy and like a nice therapeutic space sounds like a like a re not rehab but like a retreat kind of Something like this, yeah. yeah. This is what I'm, I'm thinking. Like a retreat, but with a bit more of a focus on that like, more therapy as opposed to kind of wellness. Got you. Because that whole wellness agenda, I think, is is a bit played out at the moment. Got you. Let's do therapies. Okay. It sounds like you've been busy for quite a minute. So then, in terms of like obviously your other goals outside of your workplace. Okay. What kind of goals? Like obviously everyone everyone has life goals, which are necessarily. Just based on their career. Mm. Do you think like <clears throat> your well, I don't know what what other things are you into? Do you think maybe your your work schedule has impacted on on that? Whatever it is. So I'm wondering whether you're talking about sort of um, as in that what relationships or that you know that I is that where do. you're shooting? I mean, like obviously, like you know, right? Say no, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, like like. Like um, as human beings, in it, like everyone, everyone has has goals to either get mm -hmm. married, start families. I don't know, maybe give themselves to, to to Christ, Allah, or work in some different. So quite specific goals that you're coming. Yeah, no, yeah. but other people have goals outside of work. So yeah, I'm saying, I hear that. With your, it sounds like you've been quite busy for quite a while. Yes. Has so it impacted your? How how was that impacting? What or what goals were they? Like, do you want to get married? Do you want to start a family, etc.? Do you think that? that your work schedule has impacted on, on that. Okay, that yeah, I think massively, to be honest. I've always been career-driven career, career driven and, you know, my goal has always been to be able to kind of get a salary that I can live on as just a foundation and um, I've always been driven by that. Not necessarily by money, but having a, a salary where I can support myself. Safety net. Like a safety net, exactly that. And and in the search for that, I have probably, what well, I say, probably, I have neglected the other areas such as maybe you know, romance, you know, <laughs> collecting a husband mm. and um, potentially having children. So, yeah, I'd say those areas have, the, that specific part has been neglected. But then at the same time, I think my goal to have a salary has been based on the fact of when that time comes, I won't have to worry about money. Mm. So that really was was my goal and aim so I was kind of working on that but from a different angle I'm not coming to be poor mm. so Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so let's secure the finance 
I make sure I can, yeah, make sure I can finance myself, mm. and 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 then we go and collect a husband. So, what do you think? Like the bag may put off potential suitors. Mm. <laughs> so I know we're digressing a little bit. It's not necessarily part of your career, but I'm just going uh, by. That's so interesting. I think um, quite possibly. May I think maybe um, you know. Let's think about it. <laughs> 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 you know, to be honest, I think you know. So that gender roles and you know the way that the society is set up at the moment. You know the idea that you know men should be maybe the higher earners mm. and uh, women less so. So I think, as you said, yeah, securing the bag puts me in a position where. I may, or more likely, potentially, maybe this is an assumption, I'm more inclined to be a higher earner. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it may be that the man that I find is is earning less than me, and that can put off some men. You know, some men do easily get de-emasculated by things like that. So, yeah, I think it can potentially be, it can potentially be a problem. Can you use your CBT therapy for this? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could fix the But that doesn't put you off, like... Well, what can I do? I don't think, what can I cover? I can't really do anything about that now unless I go on, like, sugardaddies.com or something. Wow. Like, Happy prosecutors. I hear this. <laughs> I hear there's a lot going I mean, on on sugardaddies.com. But, um, but I suppose it's about what, what you value, isn't it? Like, yeah. I know me in particular the, the whole finance thing I, I wouldn't have a problem being with someone that is earning less than me that's, that's that's not really an issue but i suppose it's about finding a guy that is okay potentially mm. being with a woman that has is earning more than him well, boy. well um thank you for for sitting with us shireen um if people want to get in contact with you or your services or like websites that they could do you, do you want to share? Yeah, so I suppose privately I work as a for efficacy mm-hmm. um, and they can be found. I don't know the URL, mm. but if you were to type in CBT and efficacy, I think they're the top one that comes up. Okay. Um, and they offer um, CBT for common mental health problems. Um, this is a private service, so it's paid for. Mm. I mean, if the. Um, I'm trying to think. I suppose it's important to think about if you know you're struggling with your mental health and feel that you need um, therapy, that you can access that through the NHS services, mm-hmm. uh, your local IAPT service, um, offer CBT for free and other psychological. What's therapy. that IAPT? IAPT Improving Access to Psychological Therapy. Okay. Um, so if you were to type that in or ask your GP, they'd be able to refer you. Okay. Um, but yeah, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to ask me any questions about how one becomes a CBT therapist, I'm open to answering them. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, we're going to publicize that. We don't. That's a private space. So what's your what's your account on LinkedIn? Um, I think, I don't know, it works. My name so yeah. Shireen Olishese. I think you type that in and you'll find me. Excellent. Cool, Thank cool. you, Shireen. That's the Ends to Excellence podcast. Thank you for listening. Boom. Oh.